Happy Resurrection Day, guys. Today is the day where Jesus was resurrected from the dead, just as he predicted in Mark 8. And it is Mark 8, 33. He was talking and he said, teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And then he must be killed and after three days rise again. Good Friday, Jesus was tortured. He was beat. He had a crown of thorns placed on his head and his blood was just shed. 39 stripes on his back. He took that beating, not for me, not for Evie, not for just one single race, one single person. He took it for everybody, every single one of us. And in Isaiah, it says in chapter Isaiah 53, five, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds, we are healed. Today, he has risen, guys. That what, All the beating and the torture he took, we are healed through that. If we confess with our, you know, come to an agreement in our heart and we confess with our mouth and we believe that, all of our sins are forgiven. You know, Easter Bunny is considered essential today. There is no one more essential than Jesus Christ, guys. He is with you forever and always, and he is with you through any storm you are facing. I hope you guys have an amazing Easter Sunday with your family. Practice social distancing. We love you guys, and we cannot wait to have you back. That was a word. I want to read out of Ephesians 2.5. This is the New Living Translation. It says that even though we were dead because of our sins, we gave, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Listen, y'all. When Jesus was rose from the dead, he gave us the opportunity for a new life, one that is free from darkness, free from our sins. Friends, when you choose to love and follow Jesus, you are free to grab a hold of an amazing gift that only God can give you, and it is not found in your Easter basket today, y'all. This gift is a life of filled with joy on earth and a gift of living forever in heaven with God. So I can't think of a think of a better way today to celebrate and to to thank him by just lifting up praise. So I just wish you and your family a very happy Easter, and I love you guys, and I miss you. Okay, all my helpers left me. I'm going to move the table. Hey, we're Today, I'm going to share a word uh, that God laid on his heart to speak. Good morning, City Reach fam. Uh, wasn't expecting to be on camera today, as you can tell. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I was reading this last week in Psalm um, 41, and for some reason, this this verse kind of stuck out to me. It's actually two verses, 11 and 12. Um, it says, by this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me. Verse 12, but you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. And I don't know, I really just got glued in on that little passage and just thought, you know, sort of breaking it down that like, when you really have that confidence that the, the, Lord, the Lord delights in you, um, and that, again, that's not something, we talk about this all the time, that's not something you're earning or that you're, you're achieving so much or you're doing so many things that, okay, the Lord's now, okay, now I delight in you because you read your Bible today. I delight in you because you actually prayed today. I delight in you because you didn't murder anybody today. That's, that's not what this means. Um, he delights in you because he created you. He delights in you because he's already said in his, that he loves you. That, that can't be taken away. And it allows you to sit back and think, my enemy will not shout and triumph over me. That like, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, you can look the enemy right in the face and say, you know what, God still loves me and he's gonna get me through it. And it's just a great thing to think, I can look at my enemy, we're talking spiritually, 
and say, you're not going to triumph over me because God delights in me. He loves me and he'll get me through it. And in verse 12, when it says, you have upheld me because of my integrity, I looked up that word in the Greek and it's, some of the ways it's broken down is that it's a perfection. And um, the only way we're made perfect is because Jesus lived a perfect life in our place and died in our place, took all of our sins in our place, and then rose again three days later to defeat the final enemy, which is death and the grave, and set me in your presence forever. I think that's a revelation a lot of people need too, is that I know it's like one thing, well, I'll, I'll be in heaven one day, and, I, and I'll be with the Lord one day, but like, you're in his presence right now. When you're saved, you're in his presence. Like, you receive the Lord, he comes and lives inside of you. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. You don't have to wait to die to be in the Lord's presence. He can be in your presence right now today. And if you're saved, he's in your presence right now today. He's inside of you. And I just really felt strongly with us all going through this whole thing with the, the COVID and, you know, we're social distancing and we're, we're not, you know, spending time around each other that I think a lot of people are getting discouraged. Maybe you're laid off work. Uh, maybe you don't have income coming in or um, not as much as you're used to. But I, I just challenge you this week, declare this verse over yourself, your household, your family, your friends, that the, the Lord delights in you because he loves you. He created you. He didn't create you just to ignore you. And that you can look at your enemy. You can look right now at your debt or you can look right now at, at, at the sickness, the disease that's, that's going around and just say, guess what? You're not going to shout and triumph over me because God delights in me and loves me and I have the victory. I already have the victory. And Lord, you're upholding me because of your perfection, which is in my place. It's not about my perfection. It's not about me earning it or me earning enough good, good points today. I don't have to work on this checklist. I'm perfect because of you. And that's the only way. And I'm in your presence forever. Like right now, starting at the moment you got saved, you're in his presence forever. So, you know, if you reach out. If you got questions or, you know, I just challenge you, study that verse on your own this week and just declare it over yourself. Um, do you, do you, you say do it often or no? Just, yeah. If, and I know it, in times it's tough to give. Right now it's challenging for so many people to give um, because, you, you know, you're not making, if you're, if you're on unemployment, you're not making as much as you are or maybe you're laid off completely. Um, you know, there's a lot of people going through financial struggles. Um, but I can tell you for a fact that when you give, when it's not easy to give, you know, when you think in the Bible, the lady with, they only had two coins, gave everything. And Jesus said, that woman gave much more than the rich man gave. And it's not easy. I'm not sitting here saying today, trying to guilt you into giving. I just know that the Lord rewards your obedience and rewards your giving in times when it seems like it's a struggle because you're saying, Lord, I trust you with this. You're not trusting us. You're not trusting a church. You're trusting the Lord with that money. So if you feel led to give, even though it might be a stretch, I challenge you to give. Give when it seems like it's a tough time to give. So I just want to pray over you today. Just do a quick prayer. Lord, I thank you that, first of all, that you came and died and lived a perfect life and that you rose again, that you conquered death in the grave. And Lord, I just pray that anybody right now that's watching, that's struggling, that's really down, that's really seeking, that's really lost and feeling, how do I get out of this? How am I going to recover? Business owners, how am I going to recover after all this? Small business owners especially. I just challenge you this week to receive the Lord. Lord, bless them, touch them, comfort them, give them peace and joy and comfort in this time of struggle, knowing that at the end of all this is victory in you. That, Lord, you'll make a way where there is no way. You'll open doors that can, man cannot open. You'll close other doors that only you can close. Lord, I know you'll pull us all out of this. Lord, I want to just say I can laugh right now in the enemy's face because he thinks he has so many victories. But I know, Lord, that ultimate victory rests in you. Thank you for living in us. Thank you for breathing the breath of life in us. Thank you for maintaining us. Thank you for just loving us unconditionally, Lord. We thank you, we honor you, in the name of Jesus, amen.
Hey, and I thought it was amazing in that passage taken out of, was that Psalm 41? 41, 11, and 12, that, that we are perfect not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus did. And it's, not, it's never, ever about what you do. That, that everything we have in Jesus is 100% because of what he did, the life he lived, the perfection that he is, that we're able to participate in that strictly through faith. And the verse I, I, I shared earlier today that, that says from 1 Corinthians 15, that if Jesus is not risen, if Christ is not risen, then your faith is useless. It's literally of no value. It's pointless. If Jesus, see, a lot of times we think that, oh, I know Jesus died on the cross, Jesus paid for my sins, and then we think that the resurrection is just like this add-on, little icing on the cake. Well, if Jesus did not raise from the dead, then actually your sins would not even be paid for. Because if somebody says, anybody could say, I'm going to die for your sin, I'm going to pay for the sin of the whole world, I'm going to take judgment on me and pay for every sin that was ever committed, but how do we know that the Father actually accepted that payment? The resurrection of Jesus is proof that the Father accepted the payment that Jesus made. And when we put our faith in his death, his burial, and his resurrection, he imparts new life to you. Pastor Jay mentioned about the Holy Spirit coming. He said, just like God breathed life. And we're going to talk about that later. So if you're here, if you're watching today, two things. If you're saved and know Jesus, my prayer today is that your faith is going to be strengthened. Your faith is going to be built up because of what happened on Resurrection Day. If you don't know Jesus, then you are, as the rest of that verse says, if Jesus didn't die, your faith is useless and you're still in your sins. Well, he did, I'm sorry, if he didn't raise. He did raise, but if you don't put your faith in him, you're still in your sin. You still owe a penalty for your sin, a penalty that he's already paid. So if you don't know Jesus today, my prayer is that today would be the day that you say, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I put my faith in him. So we're going to look today at John chapter 20. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to, we're going to look at the, the resurrection story in John chapter 20. But before you go there, uh, I'll just quote one verse from John chapter 20, verse 17. This is really the story of Mary Magdalene when she meets Jesus uh, on Resurrection Day. And in verse 17, he says, don't touch me. Matter of fact, it may have been the first social distancing order ever given. So here's Jesus. He, you think Governor Hogan was, was the social distancing guy? Jesus said, don't touch me because I've not yet ascended to the Father. Go tell my brethren that I am ascending to the Father and your Father and am ascending to my God and your God. Odd statement. Here's Jesus that let everybody touch him, that there was nobody that couldn't touch Jesus that wasn't healed, delivered, set free, raised from the dead, but here we see Jesus on Resurrection Day saying, don't touch me. Well, there's something that took place on Resurrection Day a lot of times we overlook, and that's what we're going to look at today, and I think to really understand and get a grasp of what took place on Resurrection Day, well, Jesus rose from the dead, but that wasn't all that happened on Resurrection Day. So there's, there's, there's another action that took place that I want to look at today. And really to gain better understanding of what happened on that first Sunday, we need to go back to Thursday night to the Last Supper. So I want to look at a few verses in John 14 and a few verses in John 16 leading up to John 20 to help us get a little understanding of why Jesus would tell Mary Magdalene, don't touch me. Now, some translations will say, don't cling to me, or don't adhere to me. If you look that word up in the Greek, it, it's really, I think it's 36 times it's in the Greek, it's translated touch. Same word that the, the woman with the issue of blood, that she's pursuing Jesus, she's had this issue of blood 12 years, and she says, if I may but touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. And then when she touched him and Jesus felt power go out of him, 
he turned around and he said, who touched me? Same word. So, although some translations use it here, I really believe it means touch, and we'll get to later why that is. But first, let's go to John 14, and I want to give you, the title of the message today is, I'll be right back. Now, a lot of times we think when Jesus says, uh, he's like the Terminator, he says, I'll be back. And you've probably seen people with, with T-shirts that look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but it's Jesus. And he's saying, I will be back, or I'll be back. Well, we think of that in terms of the ascension, when Jesus ascended 40 days after Resurrection Day, and he says he'll return at the second coming. But he says the same thing at the Last Supper, just before he goes to the cross, just before he goes to the tomb. And a lot of times that we read this passage, and we think he's talking about the second coming, when in fact I really believe he's talking about the resurrection. So let's walk through it. We're going to look at a few things. We have a lot of scripture today, so we're going to read more than we're going to teach. Um, so we're going to let the, the scripture really be, do the explaining for us. So if you have your Bibles, John 14, verse 1, and we're going to start with looking at verses 1 through 3. And Jesus says, now this is at the Last Supper. He, he, they, they've, you remember in John 13, he washes the disciples' feet. They, uh, they have dinner, and now 14, 15, and 16, those three chapters, Jesus is really giving them last-minute instructions on what's going to happen, the Holy Spirit's going to be coming, and he's really getting ready to bring things to a close. So this is, we're kind of jumping in on that conversation. He says, let not your heart be troubled. And I, I highlighted believe here, because you're going to see, if you look on the screen, believe is in green. So I just want you to, to notice the number of times Jesus says believe. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So quite often when we read this passage, we think about the second coming. And I just want to say, I believe in the second coming. I believe Jesus will return for his bride. I believe Jesus will return and set up his kingdom here on earth. However, I want to, to walk through this. He says, in my father's house are many mansions. So quite often we read this, and we get this picture that we think, okay, Jesus is talking about the day he ascended, and, and he, he's up in heaven. And he's got his little car hearts on, he's got his carpenter belt, and he's got his hammer. And Father says, oh, another one just accepted you. Oh, okay. Don't, 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 Oh, another one just got saved. Oh, do, 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 you know. And we think Jesus is up in heaven building houses. And, and everybody says, well, I'm going to have a really big mansion when I get to heaven, and, and my mansion is going to be bigger than your mansion because I've done more for the Lord than you've done. And, and, and we get this idea that, that Jesus, the carpenter, is up in heaven building mansions. And that one day when he gets them all done, he's going to come back and he's going to take us up. And then St. Peter's going to open the pearly gates. And like that old song says, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. And we're going to walk down the streets of gold, and we're going to go to our mansion. That's not what he's saying. He says, in my Father's house are many mansions. This word is only used twice in the whole New Testament. It's the word that means dwelling places. If you have the New American Standard, it'll say, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. It's the word Monet, not like the song Monet, Monet. Who was that saying? I can't remember who sang that. It's Kenry. But he only uses it twice. Remember that, mone, mone. Uh, and he uses it again in verse 23. And it means, it means uh, dwelling place or residence or abode. Later in the chapter, he says, if you love me and keep my commandments, my Father will love you, and we will come and make our abode or our home in you. Only used twice. It comes from the, Hebrew, the Greek word meno. M-E-N-O, which means to abide, to dwell, to remain, to take up residence. So he says, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. There's many dwelling places. If it were not so, 
I would have told you, I go to prepare a place. I go to prepare. I go to make the necessary preparations. I go to prepare a place. That word is tapas. It, It can mean a room, but it also means an opportunity. So literally what he's saying, in my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare an opportunity for you. And if I go to prepare an opportunity for you, then I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So think about this. Where was Jesus when he said that where I am, there you may be also? So he's talking in the present tense. So, well, he was at the table, yes. He was in Jerusalem, yes. He was in Israel, yes. That's not what he's talking about. He said, so that where I am, there, the place that I am, now you may be also in the future. So he's saying, when I come back, I'm going to receive you to myself, so that where I am, the position that I'm in, that same place is where you can be. See, without this, there's no opportunity to have a relationship with the Father. It's the resurrection that gives us the opportunity to not only be forgiven of sins, to not only have authority over sin, but to have a relationship with the Father. And that's what Jesus is saying here. I'm going to go make an opportunity for you to now have a relationship with my dad. See, the whole world had been on a social distancing for 4,000 years. When Adam sinned, God separated man from God. God said, you're sinful. Your sin will infect every human from now to the end of time. Every man will be born with sin. Every man will carry this virus. I can have nothing to do with sin. And I now have to distance myself from sin. But one day I'm going to send my son to be able to take care of that. And all through the Old Testament we see the sacrifice, the sacrifice, the atonement. And all atonement did was cover up sin. It covered up sin enough for man to have this temporary fellowship with God. Kind of like that you're infected, you got to wear a mask, you got to wear goggles, you got to wear a suit so that you can be connected with people. Well, that's what the Old Testament sacrifice did. It just provided a covering so for a temporary time that man could interact with God. But there's coming a time when Jesus would wipe it all out. And Jesus says, I'm going to go, and I'm going to make this opportunity for you. So where was he? Where was Jesus, the place that he is, that you can now be? Look at verse 10. John 14, 10 says, do you not believe that I am in the Father? And I want you to, make, I want you to pay attention to this. Because Jesus is now telling us where he is. He says, the place that I am, that's where you're going to be. So where is he? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words that I speak, do you not speak? Do, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me or else believe me for the work's sake themselves. Now, verse 20. We'll skip out to verse 20. At that day, what day? At that day, you will know that I am in the Father. So he says, right now, I'm in the Father. I'm making an opportunity for you to be where I am in the Father. And at that day, you'll know that I am in the Father and you are in me, and I am in you. Are we going to know that Jesus is in me sometime when the second coming happens? No. We know that Jesus is in us now in the form of his Holy Spirit. So he's not talking about something that's thousands of years away. He's getting ready to refer to something that's only a few days away, because he says, at that day, you'll know. That I'm in the Father, the Father's in me, I'm in you, you're in me. Let's go on. Verse 25. It says, These things have I spoken to you while being present with you. 
Now, he's going to give us two hints, two hints right here, that when this is done, that when he comes back, I want you to, this is going to come back in John 20. He says, I've spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, I want you to remember the Holy Spirit, and I want you to remember peace, the Holy Spirit and peace. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things I've said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither be afraid. Verse 28, you have heard me say to you, I'm going away and I'm coming back. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said I'm going away to the Father. So a lot of times we reread this, and if we look at this one passage, we think, oh, he's talking about the ascension in 40 days, and then when he comes back to get his bride. But he says, if you loved me, you would rejoice because you, I said I'm going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. Verse 29 makes it really clear. So if you didn't get it up to now, here's where verse 29 brings it, brings it home. And now I have told you before it comes. What's it? That when it does come to pass, you may believe. No one's going to have a heart, no one's going to have a problem believing at the second coming. Believing is not going to be an issue when Jesus comes back to set his kingdom up on the earth. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. See, believing, he says, when it comes, the resurrection, when it comes, when I come back in three days, the purpose is faith. The purpose is belief. And I'm telling you this now, three days ahead of time, so then when it happens, you'll be able to believe. That's what he wants. Now, one more, one more quick passage, John chapter 16. He says, a little while, and you'll not see me. And again, a little while, you will see me. So you can see where this starts to make sense now. He's not talking about thousands of years He's literally just talking about a few days. He says, you will see me because I go to the Father. Now, I want you to remember, tuck this in the back of your head, I go to the Father, because that's important what happens on Resurrection Day. And some of the disciples said among themselves, what is this that he says to us, a little while, and you'll not see me, and a little while, and you'll see me, because I go to the Father. And they said, what is it that he says a little while? We don't know what he's saying. So here's the disciples. They're all the way up. They've, they've been with Jesus three years, and they still don't get it. And he's telling them, like, what's he mean a little while? Does he mean a little while? Does he mean a couple days? Does he mean a couple years? We don't know. Well, just like Jesus, he knows what they're thinking. In verse 19, he says, next verse, <clears throat> Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, and he said to them, are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while and you'll not see me, and a little while you will see me. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. When did they weep and lament? They weeped and lamented when he died on the cross. They thought it was over. They thought that their king was dead. Who rejoiced? The world rejoiced when Jesus died. He says, um, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow, remember this, your sorrow, you're going to be sorry, you're going to lament, you're going to weep, but that weeping is going to be turned into joy. Next verse. <clears throat> A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come, but as soon as she's given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being was being born in the world. Don't have time to talk about it right now, but Colossians 1.18 refers to Jesus, as does Revelation. So both Paul and John both call Jesus the firstborn from the dead, that he was actually born from the dead. And so it talks about a child being born. He says, therefore, now, now, right now you have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. So he's saying, he's, he's trying to prep them that, hey, your world as you know it is going to crash. You're going to experience the deepest despair, the most disappointment, the greatest sorrow you've ever experienced. But a few days later, I'm coming back. 
I'm taking care of this issue once and for all. And your sorrow will be turned to joy, and that joy will never, ever go away. All right, that's the backdrop for John 20. All right, so we're going to have to move. John 20. So we're going to skip a few verses. We're going to start with verse 1, then we'll go to verse 11. So, now that you, you, we have an idea of what Jesus is trying to tell the disciples to prep them for what's going to happen in just a few days, now we come to Resurrection Day. Jesus dies, he, he, he's buried, and he's been in the tomb, and early Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene, I love it, I think it's amazing that the first person that interacts with Jesus is somebody that he casts seven devils out of. Now, it doesn't tell us that here, but it tells us that in the book of Mark. And, and that he chooses to, to interact with her first. It says, now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Verse 11. So, in between there, she runs and she tells the apostles, and John and Peter run back, and they look in the tomb, and, and they realize that Jesus isn't there, and then they run back and go about their day. She stays at the tomb. They're gone. And it says, But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Now, this is going to come back in a few minutes, because this... When you read this, you read, oh, there's two angels in the tomb. Where did we see two angels in the Old Testament that, that hovered somewhere? Not hovered, but actually were part of the Ark of the Covenant. So in the, in the Old Testament, under the tabernacle system, in the Holy of Holies is the Ark of the Covenant. Now the Ark of the Covenant is covered with what's called the mercy seat. And that's the place that the high priest would go in once a year and apply the blood to. And on either side of the mercy seat, there are cherubim, one on the left and one on the right, covering the, the, either side. And in the center of this is where the presence of God dwelt. So he's giving her a little picture of what he's about to tell her. So in there, there's two angels sitting at either side of where Jesus laid, kind of, and, and it's on a stone tomb representing, representing what will be the mercy seat. And he says... And they say to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she says, because they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. Now when she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, and go back to verse 14, and did not know that it was him. So I find this interesting because she sees Jesus, <clears throat> but she doesn't recognize him. Now she had been with Jesus for probably two and a half years. Mary Magdalene and, and a number of other women traveled along with the apostles that were with Jesus. And maybe you don't know that, but, but really, you know, imagine guys can't do anything on their own. I mean, there really, there really was a purpose. They had to have these ladies just to keep things in order. And you're going to see, that's one of the reasons Jesus came back and sees Mary, to get the disciples back on track. And, uh, but she, she should recognize him. She should recognize Jesus. She just spent three, or three years with him. Well, you might say, well, some people say, well, his body was so badly beaten and disfigured that that's why she didn't recognize him. I get it, but she took his body off the cross. She was the last person, one of the last people to see his body after he died. So there's something different about him and his appearance when she sees him on resurrection morning that's different. And then he said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Oh, let's go to the next, verse 15. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? So she not only doesn't recognize him, she doesn't recognize his voice either. He speaks to her. She's been with him two, three years, doesn't recognize her voice. And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And right now, somehow Jesus opens up her spiritual ears, her spiritual eyes, and all of a sudden she realizes who it is. And he says to her, Mary, verse 16, let's go back one. Can we go back one slide? He says to her, Mary. 
And she says, Rabboni, that is to say teacher. And, and all of a sudden, she realizes who he is. And, then, and, and, and her first reaction is probably to want to wanna touch him. And this is where he says, don't cling to me. Don't touch me. Verse 17. He says to her, don't cling to me. Don't touch me. For I have not yet ascended to my father, but go... Where did Jesus say he was going? Where did he tell the disciples in John 14, three days earlier? He said, I'm going to my father. And when, and, and when I come back, I will receive you to myself. The place that I am now in the Father is where you can be. And he says, Mary, don't touch me. I've not yet ascended. Tell the disciples I'm ascending to my Father, get this, and your Father. I'm ascending to my God and your God. And she came and told the disciples that she'd seen the Lord and that he'd spoken these things to her. Pause. Where did he go? Jesus actually ascended on resurrection day. He, he, now we know he ascended 40 days later to go to heaven, but there was an ascension that's crucial that we know what he did on resurrection day. And the reason why he said, don't touch me. See, Jesus, as our high priest, had to follow the pattern that, that was established under the Old Covenant. The pattern of the high priest taking the blood of the sacrifice into the Holy of Holies, apply, applying the blood to the mercy seat, and at that time, that blood would last for a year. It would cover the sins of the people for one year. And they'd apply the blood and you'd receive forgiveness. They'd apply the blood and you'd receive forgiveness. Apply the blood and you'd receive forgiveness. 1,500 years that took place. And now Jesus is on his way to walk into the Holy of Holies in the heavens to apply his very blood to pay for sin for all time. Look at, look at uh, next slide. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 and 12, it said, Christ came as a high priest of good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. So there's a tabernacle in heaven that the one on the earth was patterned after. So the one on the earth is not the real one, it's the one that models the one that's in heaven. So Jesus, on resurrection day, ascends to the temple that's in heaven, the one not made with hands, not of this creation, and not with blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once and for all. See, that Old Testament high priest would apply the blood, and a year later you'd have to do it again, and a year later you'd have to do it again, and it would only provide a mask for another year. But Jesus says, I'm going in there one time and one time only. And having obtained, look at this, eternal, eternal redemption. He purchased it once. He did it once. Once for all time, for all people. Look at now verse 24. Same chapter. Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true. So again, the ones on earth are copies of the one in heaven. But into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Here he is. He's actually going to the Father. What did he tell the disciples? He said to Mary, he said, Tell the disciples, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Here Hebrews tells us he goes into the Holy of Holies, into the very presence of God, not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of ages, he has appeared, look at this, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He did away with it. It's once and for all time done. Done, done, done. Well, it's pretty cool. We'll just take a couple more minutes. We'll, we'll hurry up that 
The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, and in verses 8 through 10, he's quoting out of the book of Psalms, but he says, He that ascended, do I have it up there? Maybe the next slide. It says, Therefore he that says, When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. So I want to back up just a minute, because on resurrection day, he comes out, he says to Mary, he says, I'm ascending to the Father. The Apostle Paul says that the one that ascended also descended. And he said he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. So what's he saying? He's saying on the same day that he ascended into heaven, that while he was in the grave, Jesus descended into hell. Jesus literally went into hell. Now, at that time, hell was a little different. Uh, if you read uh, Luke 16, <clears throat> there's a story in Luke 16 about the rich man and a poor beggar named Lazarus, and they both die, and they go to, they go to uh, hell or Hades at the time. And in that place of torment, you have the rich man on one side of hell, and it says he's in flame and he's in torment. And on the other side of hell is, is Lazarus the beggar. And the rich man, he says, he's, it's what's called Abraham's bosom. And, and the beggar's over there in Abraham's bosom. And he says, hey, Father Abraham, can you send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and wet my tongue? And, and Abraham says, I'm sorry, but there's a big gulf right here. And it's such a great gulf that you can see back and forth, but you can't cross over. And he says, okay, you can't wet my tongue. Can you send Lazarus back to meet my five brothers and tell them that this is a horrible place? And Abraham says, no can do. He says, they've got the Old Testament prophets. And if they don't believe the prophets, they're not going to believe one, even if he was sent back from the dead. So Jesus, on, while he's in the tomb, he goes down into hell and preaches, as Peter says, to the, the, the spirits who are in prison. Jesus literally fulfills Isaiah 61 that says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the gospel to the poor. And the part that says that to, to release those who are in prison. And he's down there and he's saying, Hey guys, I've made the payment. It's done. You can have a relationship with the Father. It's over. I've defeated death. I've defeated hell. And he says, let's go. And he gives them the gospel, and he takes them out of hell, the ones that died in faith. Now, get this. He says, oh, by the way, before we go, now they're supposed to go from hell to heaven to make that, make that sacrifice. He says, hey, wait, wait, wait. Before we go, I need to stop and see Mary. I want to see Mary. Uh, and they're like, oh, okay. He said, because I told the disciples what to do, but you know, if you want it done, you got to tell a woman. See, I was having this conversation with my wife yesterday, and we we're doing the, 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 the outreach on the street, and we had all these tables lined up on Greenway Avenue, and the guys were at the first few tables, and the ladies were at the next few tables, and the bottleneck was where the guys were. All these cars are bottlenecked. The ladies, like a machine, boom, boom, everything done. Bless you, we love you, God loves you, Jesus died for you, here's a ham. The guy, I don't know what the guys are doing. Kristen says, she goes, we need to send a woman down there to tell them what to do. And that's basically what Jesus says to the saints in, in the hell. He says, hey, I need to go see Mary Magdalene because I need her to go tell the disciples what to do. And they say, okay, cool. Can we go walk around Jerusalem while you're doing that? And if you read Matthew's account, I think it's Matthew 27, verses 52 and 53, it says that the saints that died rose on resurrection day with him and were seen walking around the holy city. Then, you know, just imagine, here they are on resurrection day while he's talking to Mary, Magdalene, they're out walking around Jerusalem. And then he says, okay, time to move on. All right. While he's down there is where he gets the keys. This is where Jesus gets the keys. He takes the saints. He says, I made the payment. 
It's done. And oh, by the way, devil, give me the keys. And he takes the keys to death, and he takes the keys to hell, and he closes that side of Hades. Still, this side's still open. But he takes the keys. All right, let's finish. That was a pause. Remember he told Mary, Magdalene says, go tell the disciples, I'm sending to the Father and your Father and tell them to, to wait. Now, the same day at evening. So he sees her first in the morning, and then we know he talked to a couple people on the road to Emmaus in the afternoon. Now he meets the disciples that night. The same day at evening being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst of him. And what were the two things I told you to remember? Peace and the Holy Spirit. Peace and the Holy Spirit. And he says to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Now if you look in uh, Mark's version, he says it shows them his hands, and he says, Handle me. Touch me. See it. Later, a week later, he tells Doubting Thomas, he says, stick your hands in here. So in, in one instance, he's telling Mary, don't touch me. It's because he was about to go do the priestly, the high priest act that he could come in with no contamination, no defilement before he goes and makes that sacrifice in the Holy of Holies in heaven. But now he's back. Now it's been made. Now he says, touch me, handle me, stick your finger here, put your fist in my side, make sure you know it's me. I'm back. What else did he say? He said, you're going to weep, you're going to lament, you're going to be sorrow, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Same word, glad. The disciples were glad when they saw Jesus. They thought it was over. They thought it was done. Now he says, hey, I'm going to take your sorrow and I'm going to turn it into joy. And that joy will be something that will never be able to be taken away from you. Last verse. So Jesus says to them again, Peace to you. Peace to you. And you know, this wasn't like Jesus, you know, it wasn't just like in Israel today, when, when you're coming or going, they say, Shalom, Shalom, Shalom. This was a declaration of peace. He's saying, Shalom! Shalom! It means complete. Shalom means wholeness, completeness, nothing missing, nothing broken, nothing lacking. I've paid for sin. I've paid for sickness. I've paid for bondage. I've defeated the enemy. I have the keys. Peace. And he makes a declaration that it is done. And that peace and, and wholeness and completeness and soundness is now available. Number one, that's peace. And he says, as my Father has sent me, so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. Number two, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. See, this was the very time when the disciples as we would say, got saved. He now says that I've gone, I've, I've died, I've paid for sin, I've gone to the Father, I've appeared on your behalf, I've made the blood sacrifice in the Holy of Holies, it's done once and for all time, peace on earth, the reason I came, God is no longer mad at you, God doesn't even have a bad attitude about you, it's peace, He loves you, it's complete, and now because it's complete, when you believe, you can now receive the Holy Spirit. And the where I am in the Father, there you can be also. And I will put my very Spirit in you. That's what's because of the resurrection. Because of the resurrection, we can have a relationship with the Father. Because of the resurrection, we can have all of our sin forgiven. Because of the resurrection we can have complete dominion over sin instead of it having dominion over us. Because of the resurrection, we can walk in wholeness and health. We can walk in victory. 
It's done. He's taken care of it all. So I want to ask you today, if you know Jesus, I just want you to be confident. And as Pastor Jay said earlier, that when the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, when you receive Him, and He takes up residence in you, and He makes His abode in you, He doesn't leave. He stays there. His presence is always with you. It never leaves. But if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know Jesus, and you don't know that you've had your sins forgiven, and you've never said, Jesus, I realize that I've done a lot of bad things, and I realize that you have paid for every one of those, that you died, that you were buried, and you rose again. And I want to put my faith and trust in you. And I want to receive you, and I want to receive the Holy Spirit into my soul, into my heart. I want to do that right now. If that's you, I just want to lead you today in a quick prayer. And, and, and I want you to pray this and be confident and know that you can have the Spirit of Jesus living in you. You can have all your sins completely forgiven. And you can become a new creation starting right now. Just repeat after me. Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for sending Jesus to die on a cross. I thank you that he took upon himself every sin, every penalty, that every, every blow, every scourge, every, every time he was rejected and spit upon, he did it for me. And I thank you that he did it for me. And I receive his payment that he made on the cross that day. I believe that you brought him back from the dead, that you accepted his payment, and I want to make Him Lord of my life. And I ask You to save me. Put Your Spirit in me right now. And I receive You in faith. In Jesus' name, Amen. Hey, if you prayed that today, you're a new creation. The Apostle Paul says that the old has passed away, all things have become new. That God has put a brand new creation inside of you. He's put His Holy Spirit in you. I want you to reach out to us. If you made that decision today, let us know. Say, hey, I put my faith and trust in Jesus today, and we'll celebrate with you. We'll send you a Bible. We'll connect with you and get you started on your path to, to growing in your relationship with Jesus. Hey, we just want to tell you we love you. We're, uh, we're really thankful that you joined us today. God bless you. May you have a wonderful remainder of your Easter and Resurrection Day. God bless you all.